You're listening to I'll Have What She's Podcasting, a film and pop culture podcast hosted by Louise Oliver and Jackie Farmer, two tired feminist millennials giving you opinions you didn't ask for about the content they love. Oh, right. Um, can you hear me okay? Yes, yeah, I can hear you. Clear as a bell. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you fine. I'm just experimenting with not shouting into my microphone like my grandpa. <laughs> Well, it's working well. You sound totally clear. Excellent. <sighs> so what are we talking about today, Louise? We are talking about one of my favourite movies, When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> yep. So we are. So how many times do you think you've seen this movie? Ooh, it's a very good question. Uh, more than five, less than 15. I'm going to say that. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I really like it. I really like this movie. I think it is the peak of rom-coms. I don't think I don't think they got better than this, to be honest. Not for a really long time, anyway. Um, yeah, certainly. I can't think of anything that springs to mind. This was actually only my second time watching this all the way through. And how and how was that for you? It was lovely. It was really nice because I knew what happened at the end because I think I've probably seen the end scene. I don't know. It's, it's always on BuzzFeed best endings or like. It's always on like compilation videos of things or top rom-com Barry Norman type stuff. Yeah. So I've seen like bits of it lots of times, but the second time around was really nice because we I didn't really grow up watching rom-coms. Really, my mum wasn't really into them, so um, I w- tended to watch them off my own back. I don't really know when I saw it for the first time. I can't really remember. It's just no, yeah, no. I can't remember when I saw it for the first time. I must have been an adult. I think I was an or a young adult at least. But it's also one of those movies that's kind of in the popular consciousness because it's got a couple of iconic scenes, uh, the end being one of them, and then there's a moment in the middle, which Mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll get to on our recording journey this evening. Um, so yeah, I feel I feel like it's one of those movies where people people probably think they have seen it, even if they haven't actually watched it all the way through. So okay, let's should we just go from the very beginning and then break this break this mother down, Um, break this puppy down. I'm just going to say right off the top, one of the things I think I love about it so much is that it really feels like an actor's movie. This In what movie. way? Because it's just, it's really just them talking intercut mm-hmm. with really beautiful visuals of New York, really. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's just set pieces of them talking. That's a lot of fun if you're an actor. And I've also thought so much of it feels theatrical. Like it feels like a play at points to me. Mm-hmm. Like the scene in the, the top of the movie when they're driving from Chicago to New York. And it's just the two of them. It's mm-hmm. just like the camera is just on the two of them for a big chunk of time. Mm-hmm. And they're just talking with Harry being obnoxious and her being neurotic. And that's it. And that feels quite, that just feels like a play to me. I don't know why. I can't really yeah. say much more. And they did, do, they did do a Broadway, they did do a Broadway uh, version of it, didn't they? I'm sure they you read that. did with um, Alison Hannigan, better known to some as Willow from Buffy. And Luke Perry, I believe, were in it. What a cast. I know. Alison Hannigan feels like a good choice for Sally Albright. Yeah, I had Molly Ringwald in my head for some reason. Why did I have that? Maybe because like, I'm thinking of the more recent theatre production yeah. of it. Unless there was Molly an earlier Ringwald. one. Oh, yes, there was, she was in it in 2004 with Michael Landis. Right. Now as top credits, Final Destination 2. So I don't know if I'm familiar with Michael. No, I don't think I'm familiar with Michael either. But Nora Ephron, I am familiar with. Mm-hmm. She's a great writer. Nominated three times for an Academy Award for Best Writing. One of what which one of is which is when Harry Met Sally. Uh, the other one is Silkwood, and the other is Sleepless in Seattle. Oh yes. 
So there you Heard go. Heard of that. Yeah, this is a great movie. It stands the test of time brilliantly. And it feels like one of those movies that Nona Ephron wrote this movie so that everything else, like Sex in the City, Friends, anything that's kind mm-hmm. of irreverent and about relationships and about people being neurotic in a big city. Mm-hmm. When Harry Met Sally crawled so all of those things could run. <laughs> or actually when Harry Met Sally kind of sprinted and ran and like won Olympic medals so everything else could just like Try phone and catch it in. Up. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, would be more accurate, I think. And I like the music arrangements by Harry Connick Jr. Yes, specifically done yes. for this movie. Yeah, um, love, there's something about that kind of music, like that plinky plonky swing music, that is just very comforting. It's so good. It sets a tone really quickly and really well. Mm-hmm. And I think he did. I think it's like Harry Connick Jr. did like a whole album for this movie, and they 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 track the tone and the story of the movie so well. I feel his arrangement of um, "It Had to Be You" at the very top of the movie and over the credits is sort of kind of off kilter and atonal and slightly shambolic, a little bit mm-hmm. like Harry and Sally. <laughs> yeah, and I like that. <laughs> Um, I think that's great. So those are my opening thoughts. Yes. <laughs> Excellent opening thoughts. I had very few. I was really, I was quite stressed because I've only seen it once and it was a while ago and it wasn't with any kind of critical lens. It wasn't like, because I had to talk about it later. It was, I don't know, it was just a Friday. <laughs> or it might have been like a hungover afternoon or something. And it was just a, oh, just part of this. Yeah. Get it on, see I think... what happens. Think I know how it'll end. Yeah. It's not about that, it's about how they get there and why. Yes. And that is a really fun ride. It is a fun ride. And it's, um, like we've mentioned in other episodes, you know, because, you know, we will be watching things that we loved when we were younger or that... Mm-hmm. And, and and therefore we didn't have the lens that we have now um, to view them through, you know, mm-hmm. a more educated, grown-ass women kind of lens. I was really, again, worried that are certain things going to bother me? Is Harry going to be way more obnoxious than I remember? Mm-hmm. And actually, again, luckily this stands the test of time and this is probably why it's a classic and that nobody's torn it to shreds or thrown it to the to the kind of guilty pleasure bin. Yeah. Because it's it doesn't do any of that. Any There's nothing... I mean, yeah, if you really wanted to, like, get super pedantic, there are, yeah, there are moments where Harry's obnoxiousness can be a wee bit neggy, but beyond that, I think it's, like, rooted in as much neuroses that he carries as as, as she does. Yeah, and it's it was, it's very of its time in, in a way that you could expect it to be a bit more problematic than it is. I think my only overarching thought that made it was, like, it might not get made today is just that it's just... 100% heteronormative. Yes, 100% heteronormative, completely white, apart from, I think, mm-hmm. two people working in the hospitality industry uh, mm-hmm. and an air stewardess and somebody who works in the diner. So yeah, uh-huh. the service industry is 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 black or ethnic minority and everyone else is white. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, in, again, in New York, regardless of the decade, is an incorrect representation of New York. Yeah. <laughs> But then there's also some interesting things happening with real estate and um, how much people are actually earning in this version of New York that we'll get to. I mean, to, they, sure. are, they must just all be so wealthy. I think they must be super fucking um, rich. Yeah. Yeah. Especially nice. Harry, because his apartment is ludicrous. It's huge. It's so like when, uh, big. Yeah. Well, shall we start with the movie? Let's start with the movie. And our, we can make our silly comments as we go. <laughs> We'll come back to New York real estate from the years 1977 to 2021. (laughs) It will come up. It will come up. So we start with 
the score from Harry Connick Jr. And then you've got your first old couple telling their origin stories, uh, which I believe were based on, they got real people to tell their stories of how they met their spouse and then they got actors to play them. Yes. So that's why they all have a little je ne sais quoi. <laughs> yes. About them. Yeah. And uh, when did Harry meet Sally? Well, in 1977 in Chicago. Yeah. And she was rocking a stunning, very of the era Farrah Fawcett hairdo with the yeah. feathered uh, bangs that flipped back. Love yeah. it. Using the Farrah Fawcett spray that Steve from Stranger Things uses. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Very good. Yeah. So they meet in 1977 graduating from the University of Chicago, I believe, or having just graduated from the University of Chicago. And uh, through Harry's current squeeze, I believe, have coordinated a carpool situation, Sally driving to New York, and he's hitching a ride, basically, Mm -hmm. to begin post-student life in New York. In the Big Apple. In the Big Apple. I'm guessing, I mean, it's never mentioned explicitly, I don't think, I'm guessing Harry's from New York originally. I don't know about Sally, but I get the vibe that Harry's maybe from New York. I don't know. Um, maybe I'm just like talks. thinking Billy Crystal's from New York. <laughs> like, I think I think it gets mentioned when they're at, on their double date that he's from New Jersey. Oh, that's right. So that's right. Because um, uh, yes, Marie's from South Orange and he's from yeah. somewhere else in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. And at one point, Harry says he's going to have to move back to New Jersey because he slept with everybody in New York. That's correct. Thank you for your attention to detail. (laughs) So yes, they drive back to New York. I mentioned it already. The car scene feels very theatrical to me. It's the the way the shot looks, um, the way they structure the language. It's just a conversation with pauses and him spitting the grape pits. All of that. It's just great. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine if someone got in your car and started doing that? Grapes are such a weird road trip snack, firstly. Yeah, and he seems to retrieve them from the back of the car, which seems odd. Like they're buried in a hold all somewhere underneath all that stuff. Uh Very strange. But of all the things you'd bring for an 18-hour car journey grapes like you know that you don't buy anything that has like a natural bit that you can't eat you don't bring anything with a core or a peel or seeds yeah or crusts if you're not going to eat them yeah the spitting is so performative and funny like it's ridiculous like you just wouldn't put up with that you'd be like what what the fuck are you doing yeah well it's about the, the first time he spits he spits it and it lands on the window and sally like very reasonably looks aghast and he like he's just like oh i'll just roll down the window but he doesn't even wipe it off no he doesn't and he and he says i'll roll down the window in a sort of slightly put upon tone like oh yeah sorry <laughs> when harry gaslit sally <laughs> Making her feel like she was neurotic for like, like, can you not spit in my car? <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's funny. It's just, it's, it's, it's strange to me because it is really ridiculous and obnoxious, but there's something about it that, I don't know, it's just, it's just so comic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think in a movie with any other tone set from the outset, it might have been like, what the f- like I, I don't know this is it, it, it's just funny it's like, who is this person yeah um yeah and like you know he's a main character in the film you assume from the absolute get-go that they're gonna fall in love at some point or at least yeah and I think have a story together so you just are like okay this yeah is next this is character development and I think they're working really hard or Nora Ephron anyway is working very hard in those first few pages to sort of establish that they don't like each other 
to begin with. Yeah. Like when they first meet, like th- that is sort of the point of the movie is that when they first meet, they are not meant to like each other. So she's painting in very broad brush strokes to get that across. But the, I guess the one downside is that he comes off a heck of a lot worse. Like she's like she looks yeah. much more like the put upon victim in this scenario <laughs> uh, with the spitting of the seeds. But anyway, yes. Then we get to the diner, mm-hmm. which is great. So that when they get into the diner, they're having a conversation where they're having a conversation about sex and oh, because they've had the arguments. They've had an argument about Casablanca, mm-hmm. and Sally says that she wouldn't have stayed in Casablanca with the man who was running a bar. She would have gone back and been first lady of Czechoslovakia yeah. at the time <laughs> yeah. and uh, done her thing. And Harry makes the point that you wouldn't leave the man you loved. And if you think you would, you haven't had good sex before. Yes. That's what they're talking about when they go into the diner. So she sits down and this is the first time we see her ordering food. And it's very, very detailed. And I did think that, you know, if she's that detailed about her food order, she probably does know if she's had good sex. But I don't know because she, I don't know. Maybe they're not related. Well, he, I mean, it's very, um, this conversation in the lead up to the to the diner is like Harry's very focused on the passion element. Um, he's mm-hmm. talking about you'd rather be in a passionless marriage, um, which uh, is sort of brings him onto the sex thing. And I think like what I think what the what's being played with here is that she's very very neurotic. Um, and the I, I mean I this is this is what I'm getting from it that and in addition to it being a, a telling character trait that the the, the writer is giving us about Sally. I think there's something. I think it's. I think it's very deliberate that we've gone with like, oh, you've just not had great sex, and then she says that I, I have like, you know, she shouts whatever it is. She mm-hmm. shouts like, I have two had great sex, and the diner goes quiet, and everybody looks at her. Yeah. And then we get this like moment with the very specific. I like what I like ordering, so I don't know. Yeah. If, I, I to me what that communicated was that it's possibly true that Hallie, that, um, that Sally has not had great sex just yet. But that's through no fault of her own. That's true. That's I feel like it might be the okay. case. I think that you're probably right. It might be the case that she wants what she wants and she likes what she likes. And she's just not met somebody who can give her that yet. Mm. I'm going with that interpretation of it. Okay. Yeah, I think that's probably that probably makes more sense. And she does actually subsequently change her mind about the ending of Casablanca. So maybe by that point she's had mm-hmm. a bit more luck. Um, just as a sidebar, um, I do love the moment in the car when she sprays the hairspray on. That is great. That's good. <laughs> and uh, the whole Sheldon. Uh, you can't have great sex with a guy called Sheldon. That always cracks me up. Yeah. Um, Sheldon Wonderschlong. (laughs) (laughs) And so then it's the first mention of uh, Harry's theory that a man and woman cannot be friends because there will always be sex involved. Answers Um, on a postcard, listeners, please. (laughs) Yeah. Because this is the thing, This 11 minutes in, I think this is, and this is the thing that the entire movie hinges upon, really. Yeah. This is the question that the movie sets out to answer. Um, yeah. And if they are the only test subject, then that theory does hold true. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you think, you as a person? Um, I've been thinking about it. been thinking about it a lot today. I mean, I do have, I do, I am friends with men and have had sex with very, very few of them. Um, <laughs> I would say... I don't think it's an absolute rule, but then also like most of my male friends are also in relationships, in serious relationships. And I have, I am familiar with, I'm not, I don't think it's the absolute rule. I think it is a sometimes rule. There are friendships I've had where once someone gets into a relationship, suddenly the other person doesn't want to hang out as much. Yeah, that's a common thing. And you go, thing. oh, I wonder if that's why. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's always been... I've always felt that's been pretty shitty when that's happened to me over the years because I am a bit like, okay. Yeah, that's... it feels really dishonest. Yeah, because I think... I see where Harry is coming from. Mm-hmm. I think he can support his theory, even though actually mm-hmm. later on in the movie he does add an addendum to that exact point. If, if people are in relationships, the pressure is off, so therefore friendships can happen. So I, I do think he has data possibly to back up his theory but I don't think mm-hmm. it, like you say I don't think it's an absolute because that's I mean well I think we have such a different understanding in 2021 of different kinds and levels of love and attraction different understandings of gender yeah yeah this comes so, back to yeah. the heteronormative thing isn't it like if you're yeah. if you're kind of hanging an entire investigation of a movie like the movie's investigation is this question it doesn't take into account the various ways in which relationships might work um Mm -hmm. relationship dynamics might work in 2021 also very very white very heteronormative very privileged very like one particular group of society where this is a thing so maybe if we lived in a world where everybody was in their early 30s cisgender heterosexual and very privileged and the only thing that could differentiate you was your genitalia which you felt represented your insides yes and maybe this would be true there's all uh, and you're sort of moving through the world with a fairly heavy obsession on getting married and possibly having kids because there is that in the movie as well that's very present as a theme the the Uh goal of marriage so yes i suppose if that is your outlook and the way you're programmed, then yes, perhaps you will always look at a member of the opposite sex as a potential partner. Yeah. If that is, yeah, if that is the way that you view the world. Yeah, it's that kind of like when you boil it down stereotype, I suppose, of like men are always looking for sex and women are always looking for babies. Yeah. Which you don't hold to. No, no, no. But I know it's a thing. I do, mm-hmm. under- I, I do understand that it is a thing. Yes. Um, so I think... In some circles, there's maybe some weight to this argument, but mm-hmm. it's also probably a crock <laughs> in many ways. It's, it's like, uh, it's a view that people hold that's worth bearing in mind. Yeah. There will also be people who've seen When Harry Met Sally who hold this as an absolute truth. Mm-hmm. And therefore, mm-hmm. probably for them, it is an absolute truth. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, like, like you say, I have had over the years plenty of male friends. And although I was thinking about it recently, I only have a small handful of them now. Maybe maybe mm-hmm. even actually handful might even be a bit generous. Might be like one or two like close male friends. But I certainly haven't wanted to sleep with the majority of my male friends. And then Harry brings up the point later in the car. When they get back in the car after the diner, he's basically saying, well, you might think that, but they all want to sleep with you because a man can't find... Mm -hmm. If he finds a woman attractive, the sex thing can't be not part of the equation. And maybe this is a little bit cynical of me, but I kind of believe that part of it. I don't know. Really? I don't know. There's a cynical bone in my body that reacted to that bit of it as being like, yeah, that's probably Mm -hmm. true. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. I think I might need to interrogate that a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to as well. There's, I mean, there's definitely been... Hmm, let me have a think. Also just thinking about what would, what should be public. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe there... I think. Do you know what I think it is? I think I'm split down the middle. I think grown me, sitting here in 2021, with plenty of yeah. very healthy, good platonic um, opposite sex relationships mm-hmm. is is arguing with the me from like my early 20s who had a slew of bad experiences of boys being less than great generally 
Yeah, see, I was a lot of people's little sister. That was my... Right, right. Which was is never a sexy role to be in. And, <laughs> yeah, you and for good reason. <laughs> <laughs> for very good reason, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's not one on the... Uh, that's not on the same list as Princess Leia in the gold bikini. Thank God. No. Uh, so that was yeah. a different... A lot of it was just like a lot of my... A lot of my male friends were older than me. I mean, not hugely older, but I was quite a young, like, for instance, when I started working in bars, I was quite a young 19. And a lot of the guys who worked in the same bar were two to five years older than me. So I was a useless barmaid. I was very, very innocent. And um, I think they just took me under their wing and Mm -hmm. did not find that attractive, which I think is to their credit. Fair enough. And actually, those are some of the men that I I remain friends with. So. Mm. Yeah, I suppose that's it. Like the ones that you are genuinely friends with just sort of stay the distance, don't they? Plus also, you know, there's something to be said for it not being that bad a thing that if you're, you know, slightly attracted to your friend in any gender or any any way you identify. Because I suppose there's something to be said for, well, you you like them, you connect with them. There might be a version (laughs) of the universe where you sleep together, but you don't in this one. That doesn't mean that you yeah. wouldn't like, you're not like Bleh! repulsed by, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe and there's also no reason why like dynamics and relationships change with time because people change. So you can grow up, grow up yeah. into somebody and they start to see you a bit differently. You don't see people for a while, which is what happens in this movie. Absolutely. Yeah. It's probably one of the things I like most about it is that the relationship dynamic changes over time. Mm-hmm. And it feels more rooted in the real world than the like pretty much every other rom-com that came after it, which is like, here's the weird antagonist or a slightly abusive significant other that we find them with at the start of the movie or whatever it is, whatever the obstacle mm-hmm. is. And then over the course of a very short space of time, for reasons, they fall desperately and madly in love. Mm-hmm. That feels less. And real. they always end up being a lot more contrivances about like, oh, but you know, it's a bet, or like she's lied about actually being in high school, and there, like, <laughs> and there's always like something that's like quite like shoehorned in that actually does make it not really a very good idea. Yeah, and makes it way more problematic. Um, yeah, <laughs> than just like legitimately kind of falling in love with someone as a person in a way that's not I've fallen in love with you in this very binary black or white kind of way now we must procreate and have this mad passionate Casablanca style love whereas actually like Mm -hmm. you could probably fall in love with someone as a friend and then have Mm -hmm. it change over the years and have maybe not have them in your life for a while and then they come back into it and that dynamic changes again like that's much more rooted in real life which is exactly what Mm -hmm. this movie reflects which I think is why it's so endearing. Um, yeah. That might be it. Maybe that's it. It's like what Harry's doing at the start of the movie is doing a very binary black or white thing. Because actually, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like little revelations are popping in my head as we speak. Because <laughs> he does change his mind. We got we come to them yeah. six years later, however long it is when they meet in the airport, um, at, you know, in that five-year gap. And he has he has edited his, his opinion and his, and, his, and his findings on the matter. Yeah. Um, I mean, based on some of the romantic decisions I made when I was just out of uni, I didn't know fuck all yeah. about who I should be going out with. I, that wasn't so, like a, a laugh of agreement. Like it wasn't like, yeah, you didn't, because uh, it was more like a, it wasn't a laugh of disagreement. It was. It was relatable. It was relating. <laughs> it was relatable content. But I think it's like I think when you're younger, you you haven't had a lot of your experiences yet, so you have you have what you have. Your theories based on what you've gone through. Probably when you're at uni, other people I've heard had sex a whole bunch of times. 
from what I told like, you know that's what they said in the newsletter that's what I read yeah, yeah. <laughs> so all my friends that's yeah. what all the other girls who works in the bar were saying yeah I, I feel you babe I feel you yeah I feel like that it was like I was in the late bloomer club so yeah <laughs> <laughs> still waiting still waiting <laughs> so that brings us up to the airport scene six years later uh, I have I, yeah, I would just like to honorable mention before we move into the detail of the airport scene to the, the light coming through the arch at Washington Square Park in New York when she drops off Harry it's so beautiful this movie is full of beautiful cinematography that is in love with New York and I'm probably going to mention it again <laughs> but I just wanted to, to get that because it's the first proper shot of New York and it just broke my heart I was like oh you're killing me oh yes and that was the other thing I thought which was really another little nerdy filmmaker thing when we arrive at the airport five years later or six years later however long it's been it's the same scene that the movie opened with but reversed because the movie opens with yes. Harry making out with Amanda uh-huh. uh, and they're like the, the <clears throat> yeah <laughs> yeah which like I feel that energy yeah yep. oh, it's so awkward when people are making out <laughs> in front of you or near you it's just like oh please stop I am just yeah I'm just not really I'm just not okay with PDAs I just I find public displays of affection just sickening but you know mm-hmm. that's just me <laughs> so yes we get it we get it in reverse with uh sally making out with this horrible lizardy looking wall street bro called joe like i don't like him he's giving me bad vibes jackie <laughs> i can tell you don't seem to like him no i don't like him and harry deals with it very differently because at the start sally what she clears her throat very loudly and then they kind of say a few words to each other and then they kiss again and then she just beeps the horn yeah so she's very impatient about it whereas harry just goes and just <laughs> stares at them and waits for he's finished he stands and he lurks <laughs> yeah but again this is so i love this uh it makes harry look really weird but i think that's great <laughs> But what it does is it sets up. He's the just group. got. He's still unselfconscious. Oh That's yes, his part of his character. Yeah, and I and think it's the whole thing with like the grapes as well. Yeah, I, there's. I've got some stuff to say about that later because that is definitely a character trait of Harry. That I think is is really nice and plays off what they do with Sally as well. Like I think it's really mm-hmm. yes, you've 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 hit the nail on the head. He is really unselfconscious. And what this does is it sets up that fantastic gag where you think it's because he recognises Sally, but it's not. It's like, Joe, how are you doing? <laughs> that did make me laugh. That was something, because I'd only seen it once before. It was not something. I was like, oh, what happens here? Does she pretend that she knows him or what happens? And so he kind of doesn't really clock that he knows who she is. Uh, she tells Joe that she knows him and that he's awful. And she can't remember the friend's name. She's like, oh, he used to go with my friend. What's her name? Yeah. Uh, oh, I can't believe I can't remember. Yeah. And she remembers just in time because then on the plane, mm-hmm. she orders a Bloody Mary kind of mm-hmm. she, she orders something really detailed from she, the flight she attendant says, do you have bloody mary mix yes okay uh-huh. no but wait here's what i want regular tomato juice filled up about three quarters then add a splash of bloody mary mix just a splash and a little piece of lime but on the side that's what it is <laughs> yeah it's very important to have things on the side if there are any casting directors listening i am available <laughs> um <laughs> And uh, Billy Crystal's behind her doing this great like little bit of physical comedy where he keeps popping up over the, the back of yes. the seat. <laughs> and it's great. Um, and the guy, I love the guy that's sitting next to Sally because I don't think he has any lines, but he has this like really happy, enthusiastic look on his face where he's like, oh, you two know each other. 
It's just great. Oh, oh, he does have a line. He says, would you two like to sit together? Which, of course, brings them together yeah. on the plane. And uh, yes, you're right. This is the moment where uh, she gets to like give him a little kind of shady. Oh, you don't remember her name? Her name is Amanda. And it's like, you didn't remember her name yeah. like 10 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's another actor set piece. But instead of in a car, we're now in a plane. And they do a lot of talking. And we get more of their neuroses. Yeah, and then we get the addendum to the rule where men and women can be friends if they're both seeing somebody. Mm-hmm. They're both involved. And I think... But they still decide not to be friends. That's right, yeah. So there's an interesting thing that happens in this scene because I feel like Nora Ephron laces it with the fact that they have a connection. Harry's clearly intrigued by her. Sally has this thing where she's clearly very affected by him. She calls him the angel Mm -hmm. of death at one point. (laughs) (laughs) So she's clearly very affected by him. And then she has this reaction to the idea of him getting married, which feels quite visceral because it's like, well, you you only had one interaction with him Mm -hmm. and then you didn't see him with for five years and now you run into each other on this plane and you were like mm-hmm. quite like oh oh you're get oh you're getting married <laughs> so it's yeah. just like she's quite affected by him so yeah they kind of lace into this scene this connection that we're gonna leave again for another five years yeah it's quite clever yeah and the good gag again in the travelator where she's like okay well bye then and then he just keeps walking beside he keeps her walking with her. <laughs> <laughs> i know and he does eventually go because it's like, it plays this really fine line between like him being kind of like f- amusingly annoying, but then he doesn't mm-hmm. push. He kind of goes, oh, yeah. oh, sorry. Right, okay. <laughs> he falls back. <laughs> and I did love that whole speech, the whole single guy life. You go dancing and you do the white man's overbite. All of that stuff is yeah. it's just great. And then we get another old couple on the couch. Yeah, that's where I do we like break. those bits. Couples on the couch break up the moments where Harry and Sally mm-hmm. collide and, and again. And they, they, these two, I think these two are the ones who were like married before. They have this really hilarious mm-hmm. speech where he's like, oh, I married Marjorie, but first you lived with Barbara. And then yeah. I married Marjorie. Then he got a divorce. Right, then I married Kitty. And then another divorce. Yeah. And, uh, and then they were at somebody's funeral. I don't remember who. Roberta, right, Roberta. And that's where he can, <laughs> t- he can take my eyes off you. It's very yeah. funny. It's very Nora Ephron. Uh, and then we get the proto-Sex in the City scene. Yeah, we get the Sex in the City scene with our Queen Carrie Fisher. Queen Carrie Fisher. Uh, she, she enters again. And another friend who, do we see her again? I feel like we see her at like a like a like a wedding again. Yeah, the um, same woman. Okay. What is her name? Is her name like Alice or something? Yeah, the one who kind of eventually turns into a bit of a smug married. Yes, that's right. Yeah, fucking Alice. <laughs> so they do Hashtag this. Hashtag not all married. <laughs> Just, <it's> Alice. <laughs> Hashtag not all married. It's Alice. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, that so one in particular like... goes out to our friend Alice, who is in fact married. Um, yeah <laughs> but who's not smug who's not smug at all so yeah this scene kind of pisses me off a little bit mm-hmm. i mean it's fine but it, it's three it's women fine. talking about men you know yeah it kind of fucks the bechdel test right in the right in the butt really. <laughs> frankly yeah because yes there are three women named women having a conversation but they're talking about men and they're talking about why they aren't married. And they're talking about, um, like, Carrie Fisher's character, Marie, is having an affair with a married man. And that becomes a running gag mm-hmm. throughout the whole 
film that he's never going to leave her. Yeah. Someone says he's never going to, she'll say he's never going to leave his wife. Someone will say, no, of course he's not. And she goes, yeah, "Yeah, you're right. Of course you're right. I know you're right. Like does this little like head smack thing. Yeah. So that's happening. Uh, She's seen something that once again indicates this man's never going to leave his wife. Alice says, oh, but you know, Sally's got to sort it out. She's got Joe. At which point Sally announces that she and Joe have broken up. Mm -hmm. And Marie pulls out her Rolodex and just starts immediately going through it, which no one's ever done. Yeah, she has a Rolodex of men. And it's um, immediately like, what about this guy? What about this guy? And Sally's not having it. She has a whole chat about, like, you need somebody transitional. You don't want to get into a relationship. So, like, there was one guy she just didn't really like, and there was one guy who was like, oh, I like him, but he'd be transitional. So I wouldn't want to waste him on that. Yeah. And then there's a whole chat about, like, well, what about when you loved David? And then you waited, and then he died. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like, but right, so I should just marry someone so that we can be married before they die. And then I think it's Alice again. It's like, well, at least then you could say you were married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is very funny. It's again, it's spectacular writing. Like in terms of how this scene is structured, it it's phenomenal. Then Carrie Fisher has this great moment where she pulls somebody out of the Rolodex of men and somebody says, I don't know if it's Alice or, or Sally, says, oh, he he's married. And she folds down the corner and goes, married. And then files him again. Like, so she's obviously got a system. <laughs> and the, the fucking, the clock is ticking line. And I felt, yeah. I felt attacked in this moment because <laughs> Sally says no 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 the clock doesn't really start to tick until you hit 36 I was like bitch uh, I feel attacked oh, thank you for that it's a good thing I wound my watch I'm fine <laughs> and then Alice says yeah. randomly in response to the the clock doesn't really start to tick until you're 36 Alice goes god you're in great shape and I'm like what does that, what, what does that have to do with anything oh god God, you're in such great shape. I wonder if she means emotional shape. I feel like she must mean emotional shape. Yeah, because that's her whole thing, isn't it? She's coping really well. Yeah. She's got the breakup and like she is, she, you know, she's like, I was sad for a few days, but now I'm over it. It's okay. Yeah. He gave me all he had to give. I don't know if yeah. she says that an hour later. I was like, I've definitely said that about people who've broken up with me before. <laughs> all I had to give I'm fine yeah I think that must be what Alice is getting at uh, emotional shape because otherwise Alice what thank thanks Alice I guess what else do we get in this I think just heteronormativity heteronormativity yeah she ruins lives heteronormativity does indeed ruin lives Marie finishes the scene spectacularly with I'm saying that the right man for you might be out there right now and if you don't grab him someone else will and you'll have to spend the rest of your life knowing that someone else is married to your husband that's how we close out that scene and then we go to the football game at which point we football game with Harry and his friend Jess Jess yeah Mm -hmm. so it turns out Harry is getting divorced Mm -hmm. he's telling his friend about it a lot of lines that he has about his divorce came from Rob Reiner who was also getting divorced when this movie either right before it was made or just before it was made and a lot of the lines are just from Nora Ephron listening to him talk about it and putting them straight into Harry's script. And just at this point, shout out to Rob Reiner, just in general, for directing some of the best movies ever made. What did you put that out there? Do do? Stand by me. Spinal Tap. Stand by me. A few good men. The Princess Bride. Little movie called. But he's really Bride. eclectic, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's great. 
So just shout out to Rob in this moment. Yeah. You've done some good stuff. You've got a good CV. Very good stuff. Yeah, that's a great little... I think that's a Jackie's fact. I think, you, I think you've it earned is. your jingle. I think you've earned your jingle. Thank you. Learn something brilliant with Jackie's facts. That's your jingle coming in there, babe. Uh, this is a great scene. So Helen has left Harry. Mm-hmm. She's left Harry and... It initially the conversation that they've had has initially seemed like it's just a tr- it's just a few days apart it's not a big deal it's not a breakup but they're just going to see how it is and you know it's just the way she's feeling and then he opens the door and it's movers and it turns out she's known for a week yeah and she's not told him he's very hurt and that because once I got broken up with and I realized that two weeks before when he'd been at mine and taken back his Seinfeld box set that he must have known uh. And again, there was some bullshit reason, like it was like I had an exam or some shit. That's a real don't fuck with Mr. Zero moment. <laughs> yeah, that's his t-shirt. <laughs> the t-shirt. That's awful, mate. That's yeah. That's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I just I really identified with Harry at that moment. It's like that is it does feel like a kick in the teeth. Uh, yeah. Another. I love this scene again from another like. Sorry to be that guy, but like from another sort of filmmaking point of view, this will come up again. I think in 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 our discussion for this movie. But this is a dynamic we don't really see much in modern rom-coms because it's two men talking about their feelings at at quite granular detail in terms of what happened and how fucked up it is. And it's happening. They are not watching this ball game that they're attending. It's happening in the middle of a stadium full of people. And they're kind of going through the motions of the man thing of being at the game and like standing up to do the Mexican wave when it comes through yeah. and then back down. But they do not break their flow. Like this, the, the stride of the conversation doesn't break. And yes. I just think it's fucking excellent. I think it's really great. And we see this again from Jess and Harry later in the movie. And it's just not something yeah, we get again. Friendship. Um, yeah, and I suppose that as much as as much as the film doesn't pass the Bechdel test, I don't think. But like, well, it's very like there are women talking to each other, but I can't think of a conversation that's not about a man. But I also can't think of a conversation that two men have together that's not about women. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good point. I know it's different because of the dimensions of patriarchy, but it does within this universe. Yes, equality. I know absolutely, and I think say. like you know, it's fine to throw the Bechdel test around willy-nilly. Mm-hmm. But not, also not really, like, you have to apply context. In the context of this movie, it kind of balances itself out because the same conversation... The men are having the same conversations. The men are being yeah. just as neurotic. You know, and we see we see the conversations mirrored in the men and back again in the women. Yeah. You know, if you want if to play devil's advocate on the side of feminism for a hot second, there's a lot of obsession with certain patriarchal mm-hmm. ideals being achieved where the women are concerned. There's a lot of obsession mm-hmm. with marriage that maybe isn't quite as present in the men's conversations. The men's conversations are very rooted in rejection and what that means for their manhood and, you know, mm-hmm. being the ones rejected. And the, mm-hmm. the men talk about sex a lot that the women don't. Mm-hmm. But broadly speaking, if you contextually, I'm kind of okay with it in terms of... Yeah, and it doesn't mean that there aren't differences in the way that men and women in real life talk about those kinds of things. And, you know, men do have different insecurities than women do, very generally speaking. And where this is different, and again, when we get to the the batting cage scene um, with Harry and Jess talking again, again, there's like a sports theme. I think this is really hilarious that the movie, (laughs) the backdrop that the the movie gives the men for when they're talking about this stuff is sports. Like, they are quite uncensored with each other in a way that you don't see men being in other forms of of media going forward like 
in in modern rom-coms like the rom-coms that you and I grew up with in the early 2000s and onwards and stuff like that you don't see men being vulnerable or kind of analytical about this stuff in a way that this movie presented men being I think the closest you'll come maybe to this in modern media is maybe Friends because they've got the three men and that that dynamic talking about their feelings and talking about stuff that's going on Mm -hmm. but Friends comes with its own litany of problems that we won't get into on this episode but there's like you know it's not it's rare it doesn't pop up very much is I guess what I'm saying yeah totally in the what was this 1989 it was when was this made uh yes 1989 so just about to kick the 90s in the arse um So yes, anything you anything so, you'd like to say about the game? I felt like I fucking railroaded that. Sorry. <laughs> no, I like scenes where men talk about their feelings. So we've covered all my bits. Okay, great. Um, I feel like uh, we need some form of "Don't mess with Mister Zero" social media happening. Maybe we can make T-shirts. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'll make any T-shirt anybody wants within reason. I want to know if we can get a "Don't mess with Mister Zero" T-shirt. I feel like. Is it "Don't mess with Mister Zero"? Don't fuck with Mister Zero. Don't mess. Oh, that's a good question. No, it's don't fuck Surely with Mr. Zero. Put... Yeah, it's don't fuck with Mr. Zero. Is it? Gosh, it is don't... I was about to say, you wouldn't put the F word on a t-shirt. My word. And you can, in fact, get a don't fuck with Mr. Zero. Of course you can get a don't fuck with Mr. Zero t-shirt. Can you? Yeah. We should yeah. get them. We should get them. Okay, and then we go yeah. to the bookshop. <laughs> There's lots of great stuff happening in the bookshop. Yes. The women are in the self-help section and the whole shot is framed with all of these self-help books. And that just cracks me up. And the book that Sally is holding says Smart Women on it. And when they bring Harry into the scene, introduced with the iconic line for Marie, there's a guy staring at you in personal growth. (laughs) (laughs) Harry is surrounded by books that say things like sex and morality, men who can't love. And he's reading something, something to do with Carl Jung. He's like reading some Jungian text. It's just That's great. such a good spot. I never noticed stuff like that. It's so it's it it just cracks me up because it's just it feels so deliberate to me. Like there's absolutely no way that everybody involved, that from the director to the writer to the cinematographer, didn't do all that deliberately. In fact, I'd love to see Nora Ephron's shooting script because I would love to see mm-hmm. if that's actually written in the script that they yeah. are surrounded by these titles. Like I think it's great. Yeah, and um, I did notice that Marie's talking about, once again, this married man that she's seeing. He's She's once again realised he's never going to leave his wife because of something she's seen on his credit card bill that she's... In. Yes. So I was like, how did you see his credit card bill? And she's like, well, there he was shaving and there it was right in his briefcase. And <laughs> I was just saying, like, it was just, you know, looking at someone's credit card bill was like the pre-internet or pre-everybody having mobile phones version of... Like looking at somebody's text messages or like their Facebook. Well, this is what what they've liked on Insta. Yeah, this is what she does. Because first time we're introduced to Marie, she says she was going through his pockets because like this is just what she does. Does she? Yeah, like I think it's like she says something like, "Oh, Marie." I know, I know. Marie's first line is, "I went through his pockets in bed," and she found out that they had just bought a dining room table. He and his wife just went out and spent sixteen hundred dollars on a dining room table. And the discussion That's then right. goes into, well, he's never going to leave her. <laughs> like, yeah. And so the, the, the next time we see Marie, it's the same thing. It's like... Oh, Marie. I know, it sets up a really toxic, awful dynamic uh, that we need Marie to get out of. And then Harry meets Sally again. Lots <laughs> more. I think it's quite telling. There's a line that um, Sally says just before he before, before he walks over. Uh, she says he never remembers me. I just really <laughs> like that line. I think it's really I think it's loaded with subtext mm. for the audience. He never remembers me. 
I think that's great. No, it is. Although I think, again, like I've known people, particularly when I was in my 20s, I know she's 31 at this point, but when I was in my 20s, it was, seemed to be, it was a bit of a thing you get, like somebody who pretends, like go to a party and there's this guy there that you've met like a good handful of times and every time you meet him, he asks you your name. Yeah. It's really annoying. It's very annoying. It's so rude. Very annoying. Yeah. So rude. It's so rude. <laughs> but he does remember her. She says that, but he it's does. not true. No, of course he does. Yeah. He remembers her the first time. Yeah. You have something in your notes about two kinds of women. Fuck off, Harry. It's, so it's after they, they've met and gone for lunch and talked about their breakups. And then they're sitting on the sofa together. Well, there's, no, they're sitting on the sofa in their respective apartments watching Casablanca at the same time on the telly. And Harry says uh, about how Ingrid Bergman's like the, be- like the best. And yeah. then he says, there's two kinds of women. And actually, that was enough for me to be like, fuck off, Harry. But yeah. um, he's but the two kinds of women he's talking about are high maintenance and low maintenance. Oh, yeah. And Sally is the worst kind because she's high maintenance, but she thinks she's low maintenance. Yeah. But I, I also have experience of, and I've given like male friends in trouble for this, being like calling their girlfriend, who I may or may not be really good friends with, like maintenance, so she's been really maintenance. And it's dangerous when it becomes a way to essentially gaslight a woman into not asking to be treated properly. Yes. Or not quite correctly demanding to be treated with respect. Yes. Well said. Round of applause. Um, yeah, no, that's a really interesting point um, because the the line where he says, you think you're low maintenance, but you're actually high maintenance. It's sort of in there. I mean, I mean, you know, I'm sure it's in there as, a th- as, as it's meant to be funny and it's meant to be in reference to the fact that she likes things the way she likes mm-hmm. things because of the ordering thing. Yeah. But that in itself is really problematic to suggest that to like things the way you like things and have be very uncompromising and unselfconscious about asking for it uh-huh. is problematic. Like to say that that's a problem or troublesome or, or something bad. So yeah, there's something inherently like problematic about that and it's also interesting because every time that line gets said I feel quite seen because mm-hmm. I feel like I have been told that in not so many words or uh, by men that I'm that I think I'm low ma- maintenance but I'm actually high maintenance and because this never gets applied to men this idea of high no. or low maintenance it never gets applied to men and the no. idea that someone sits in either camp because you just know that what low maintenance means in this context is women not being particularly vocal about their needs or wants that's what it means it means shut up be unproblematic for me and what that means is not loud go with the flow or the worst thing the cool girl thing which we've seen yes that we've seen you know diagnosed and then ripped apart in more recent pop the cultural thing and things like Gone Girl where it's like yeah very well done in Gone Girl very well done in Gone Girl this idea of the cool girl and how that's Mm -hmm. that's the kind of low maintenance that you need to be Um, yeah and I think in in terms of other rom-coms in um, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days um, Kate Hudson's character is essentially the low maintenance cool girl she like loves sports she loves hot dogs she drinks beer she like teensy weensy thin and pretty and got shiny hair and is yeah, immaculate like, yeah she's not really wearing any makeup and but then when she's being the nightmare when she's like on being the nightmare woman who does everything wrong she's being high maintenance demanding her food to be a certain way getting upset 
and being and actually and being girlier right yeah feminine is bad yeah girly in like inverted commas because actually men are very unapologetic and uncompromising about asking for the what they want it's just been associated with what men do Mm -hmm. like if you look at things like mad men for example where men are like snapping their fingers bring me my martini woman and like very, everything has to be just so just the way they like it that's just a different yeah. version of that it's just yeah that's just perceived as normal because the world is built for men yeah they don't have to explain that they just like things the way they like them because of course they do because people are always asking them what they want yeah and when you think about it we are so conditioned to make ourselves small or to fit mm-hmm. or to do like i mean how many times have you like had something you didn't really want to have or just gone with the flow or like just like ate the thing you didn't really want or like whatever it is did the activity or went to the place to fit yourself into the easier more manageable box and it's like you eventually have to ask for like one thing yeah and what sally is being presented as in this movie is that she's that she doesn't give a second thought it's it's through the lens of ordering food but what i assume we we to take from that is that that is who she is she's like no 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 wait like with the air steward and the the place she's like no no wait this is what i want and it's presented as if she's quirky or strange or yeah high Mm. maintenance and it's like well no she's just asking for exactly what she wants and she's not in the least embarrassed by it yeah so in a way the lesson here is hashtag be more sally Mm -hmm. and apparently that is the way that's based on Nora Ephron that's how Nora Ephron ordered food and you know what Nora Ephron Mm -hmm. has nominations for BAFTAs and Academy Awards and I'm not saying the two are related but (laughs) well if you know what you like and you're confident about that then you probably do like if she's right you know she writes things the way she likes them and she's Mm -hmm. exacting about that as well so it's you know you take the award-winning scripts with the complicated drinks hashtag be more Nora hashtag be more Sally that was a great tangent but I don't know where we are (laughs) I enjoyed it so that was us when they were on the phone oh and that's another um look I think actually this is quite well known fact but um Harry and Sally talking on the phone late at night while watching TV is based on what Billy Crystal and Rob Reiner used to do. Oh, that's cute. That was another great Jackie's fact. <laughs> did you already... Uh, sorry, I'm looking at your notes now. Uh, apologies. But did you already mention <laughs> the, 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 this this fact here that I've highlighted? Oh, you already... one? Yeah. Um, so the one... Yeah, so there's a bit... <laughs> So this is, right, so again, like, we're going back a scene when, so they've run into each other in the bookshop, and then they end up going for lunch, and they've talked about their breakups and everything, and it turns out they're actually, they really relate to each other, and Sally asks Harry out for dinner, and they establish that, oh, we're going to be friends, and this is, this is nice, this is new. And then as they're walking away, um, Harry says to Sally, you're the first attractive woman I've not wanted to sleep with in my entire life. That's it. She says, that's wonderful, Harry. Like, in a really, like, dry, <laughs> like, good for you. Like, it's just, yeah. it's so, it's, you know, it reminds me of this other thing that men say to you. And I've had this said to me, is like, you're really attractive in an unconventional kind of way. That kind of, like, yeah. backhanded it's compliment. It's a low-grade neg. Yeah, it's a low-grade yeah. neg. And it's like, men think they're being really... I don't know what they think. <laughs> I really don't know what they think. I think your nose is cute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you're you're really cute for, you know, an ugly bird. I don't know. Like, it's just like, it's a backhanded compliment. And they, they think they're being really like, yeah. I don't know. 
what do they think what do they think actually i don't know how to finish that sentence what do they think they're being when they say these things i'm sure they're all thinking a number of different things <laughs> and it's something that they've heard other people say because that's oh that's it's just i guess the way people the way everyone talks you say things you're just like why did i say that she didn't seem to find that charming at all like he he said stuff like that to her before he said these things that could be that previously like that would have riled her up and it's the first time that it doesn't it just cements that she kind of gets him now they have this really open conversation before that happens where mm-hmm. Sally has this incredible monologue about she and Joe thinking they had this perfect relationship uh-huh. and not wanting kids and then you know the relationship where they could fly off to Rome at a moment's notice or have sex on the kitchen floor and not worry about the kids coming in. Mm-hmm. That how that changes and changed over time and that the things that they wanted shifted without them knowing about it. And it's a really uh-huh. poignant monologue. And she's so open with him about it. And Harry gets it immediately because his line in response is, and the kitchen floor. And mm-hmm. it's if you wanted to read that on, on a first read, it's like he's bringing it back to sex. But actually what he's saying in that moment is the intimacy was gone. Yeah. Or the intimacy that you thought you had didn't exist or it, it or it stopped existing. However you want to interpret it, there's this really vulnerable moment that Sally has, which I think is like peppered throughout the movie that they find it really easy to talk to one another. Mm-hmm. They're very um, non-judgmental of each other. Yeah. In the important things. Yeah. You know, they're quite judgmental about the, tri- the trivial things. Yeah. But that's their pattern. It's okay. And they're very open with one another. They talk about the big stuff with each other really, really easily. And he immediately gets it. It's a really lovely scene. He says, boy, you sound really healthy at the end of it. <laughs> and it cements their friendship. That's the scene. Yeah. It echoes Alice saying to her, gosh, you're in great shape. <laughs> yeah. Which is really great, actually, because yeah. it, as we will learn throughout the movie, that she's maybe not in such great yeah. shape. <laughs> but it's important to her that everybody sees her as being so... Yeah. Which I relate to. It's um, We also get this stuff, uh, you know, the first time I met you, I really didn't like you. We get a bit of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing. There's a slightly little gaslighty, neggy thing that happens in this exchange that I don't like, where he says, um, you were just so uptight then, you're much softer now. Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, I hate that kind of remark. It sounds like a compliment, but it's really an insult. Like, <laughs> yeah. we've, like we've, we've literally just covered this. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, he goes, okay, you're still hard as nails. And she calls him out by saying you just interpreted me not wanting to sleep with you as a character flaw which is just fucking cutting straight to the heart of it and it's okay the reason it's not problematic is because he doesn't like her less for saying that and he doesn't make her feel bad you know it's it's gaslighty if he manipulates her into changing her behavior but he doesn't and Mm -hmm. he likes that she doesn't even though i mean he shouldn't have said that but it just shows why they are so good together there is a great line, though, in this Harry-Sally reconnection scene, and I, I wrote it down because I loved it so much, is what's the statute of limitations on an apology? I uh, yeah, really line. liked that line. I thought it was really clever. You know, if you've ever sort of, like, navigated a complicated friendship or moved in and out of an orbit with someone, like, that just that line just landed with yeah. me. Like, what's the statute of limitations on an apology? I fucking loved it. It, it was... Uh, yeah. It's in direct contrast to what we've just discussed, this whole thing of the first attractive women I've not wanted to sleep with. It's in direct contrast to lies like that because it demonstrates like mental health and good growth and like uh-huh. awareness, self-awareness. And the fact that he'll be thinking back to things he said to this person 10 years ago and just be like, ah. Yeah, so the statute of limitations is always open. <laughs> Here we are. So 
here we are. And then we get lots of them hanging out yeah. and really beautiful shots of New York that look like paintings, you know, them walking through Central Park. Yeah, it's all that autumnal scapes, lots <sighs> New of York. hats. Yeah, New York looking beautiful. Uh, Sally dressed like Diane Keaton. Oh, just like beautiful stuff. And there's this beautiful, beautiful scene. Uh, yeah, they're in a museum or a gallery. I feel like they're in the Met. But it overlooks Central Park. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> this whole scene, this whole pepper and my paprikash. Yeah. You might know this, being the keeper of facts. But this was uh, this was just pure Billy Crystal. This was Billy Crystal just going oh, no, off on one and riffing. And he just starts to do this. And when she laughs, when she's like, oh, no. And she looks off to the left. That's Meg Ryan. That's not Sally Albright. Meg Ryan is looking off and looking to the director because she's like, should I, should I keep going? Like it's just, right. it's just Billy Crystal riffing and Meg oh, Ryan. Oh, I goes really with like it. that scene. It's great. It's so good. And uh, yeah, Meg Ryan's reaction is completely real and natural because she didn't know he was going to do it. And uh, oh, I love that. And her reaction's so sweet when she's trying to do it back to him. Yeah. <laughs> you should have a jingle. <laughs> I will look, I will give you the occasional fact But you are the keeper of the facts My dear And uh-huh. this is the scene I feel like Where we really get the Like Because sort of Sally's like A bit apprehensive about telling him That she's got a hot date And yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> And it's sort of like This is the scene where And Harry actually is actually really lovely in this scene Because he's like Why? Yeah. Why would you not Why would you not tell me that you, yeah. you have a date? And she's feeling a bit peculiar about it that's sweet. And then he he takes the accent off. And then when she tells him that he should get back out there as well, he switches back into the accent to say he's not ready. Yeah. So it's yeah. almost like that kind of like he's feeling a bit vulnerable again. So he just like retreats into his funny character he's doing. Oh, no, I'm not like, ready. I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get the scene in the apartment this ridiculous apartment that harry has mm-hmm. with the rug where they the talk about jumpers the jumpers lots of fantastic knitwear happening yeah um, hashtag efron knitwear yeah so the, basically what we're leading up to uh in this scene is to establish that harry has the bad date but sleeps with her anyway and yeah sally does not and she's kind of she has a moment with that She's um, quite horrified that she's she has. quite horrified. Well, she kind of, well, she goes, huh? Oh, she kind of like she's not delighted about hearing it, but she's it's almost like she's she's unsure of how she how she's meant to react. And it's an interesting thing because it cuts uh, then to the batting cage. So we're back with Jess and Harry talking about their feelings yeah. and talking about what's going Doing on. Doing man sports stuff. Man sports stuff while finding ways to talk about sex and what is going on. Uh-huh. And Jess doesn't understand the relationship. Uh huh. I suppose, actually, at this point in proceedings, I'm not sure I understand their relationship either. No. But only because well, as the audience member, I'm starting to see that they do really connect. So I'm a bit like... Yeah, I mean, I think it would have been hard to have bought a ticket to go see this film and put your bum in the seat and not fully expect that they were going to end up together at the end of the film. Yeah, so you're kind of... With so it. any they... date that either of them goes on with someone else, you're assuming is not going to last. Yeah, and I, so I feel like the audience is Jess at this point. Because we are all yeah. we are all a bit like okay, why don't you What's do the problem? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're both single. You're both neurotic. Yeah, it's it's very apparent that the only people that would put up with either of you are each other. So why don't we just yeah. just make this work? <laughs> Not many other things to say about this other than I really like the 
I feel like I'm growing. And then the kids like, we're not, was two, we're not. And uh, it yeah. comes back and just like, you were growing. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's good. And then we have the scene. Then it's the scene, yes. This scene in Katz's Deli. Having a very, very expensive sandwich, by the way. Mm-hmm. fucking expensive is it? it's about 17 have i have been yes it's about $17 for a sandwich in Katz's now granted that sandwich is huge but still okay they're in Katz's Deli um which I also feel like Sally ordering her cold cuts on the side in Katz's is completely reasonable because they give you a sandwich it's like it's like a it's like a dictionary sized in terms of width the amount of meat that goes on that sandwich so perfectly reasonable to some... get that on the side yeah, in some places when it's... I like a bread-heavy sandwich. No, that's very British of me. It, well, I mean, whichever way you slice it, it's too much meat. Yeah. So she gets her... She gets and she gets her cold cuts on the side, which I think is super cute. You can actually see that uh, without her having yeah. to order it. And then, yeah, we get the world's most famous teachable moment. <laughs> oh. oh! 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 Oh, God! Harry is of the opinion that no one has ever faked an orgasm with him. Because she's basically giving him a hard time for sleeping with him in and then getting out of the door. What it leads up to is him saying, I don't feel great about it, but I don't hear anyone complaining. And she says, of course, you're out of the door too fast. I think they have an okay time. How do you know? What do you mean, how do I know? I know. And yeah, he says, what are you saying that they fake orgasm? And and she's like, well, most women at one time or another have faked it. Well, they haven't faked it with me, (laughs) which is what every man thinks. And then, yeah. And then we get, then we get the scene. Um, we get the See. moment. And also some very good character development of Sally because the first time they meet, she shouts sex in the diner by accident. is very, very embarrassed mm-hmm. when people go silent that she said sex. And then here we are 10 years later and she is causing a scene yes. in the diner. I think that that is a very important moment to note because, yeah, there is something about Harry that brings down her inhibitions and... Mm. Yeah, they have they have a positive effect. He doesn't have any. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have any. And uh, the way he looks at her after she does this is incredible. It's yeah. very like it's full of stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because she calls him out on things. You know, we get it earlier when she says, um, "You viewed the fact that I would sleep with you as a character flaw," and he then that leads to the statute yeah. of limitations and apologies line. She kind of yeah. calls him out on his shit, and he makes her less self conscious. There's things that happen in their dynamic that make them both well he makes she makes him softer as we see later on he's able to switch out of his silly accent be like no why would you why would you not want to tell me you have a date of course i think that's wonderful yeah um but he she does bring out a very sweet sincere side to him when when we first meet him he is glib and sarcastic and a bit of a nightmare Mm -hmm. um we should probably point out at this point that this is where the name of our podcast comes from (laughs) Yeah, we should. That was why we covered this early. (laughs) Because after Sally um, finishes her reaction to her sandwich, (laughs) the lady at the table over proclaims... Oh, Oh, God. 
I'll have what she's having. Yeah, when we were trying to think of what to call our podcast, we just wanted it to be uh, clearly something related to film and ladies that was recognizable. And mm-hmm. this is just one of the most recognizable lines in cinema. Yeah. Ever. That no, was Rob Reiner's mum. And Rob Reiner, yes. I Rob did Reiner's know that. Rob Reiner's mum said that. I think, yeah. I mean, that still gets the Jackie's Fact jingle. Jackie's Fact. Does, that, does everybody know yeah, that? I don't, I don't think I own that fact. Fair enough. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll leave the jingle out for that one because it is quite, that one's quite well known. It's worth mentioning. Worth, absolutely worth mentioning. I don't want people to think we didn't know. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Don't at us. Do not um, at us. Great. Then we get to Christmas. Christmas in New York. Oh, oh, Christmas in New York. They're mm-hmm. at a New Year's Eve party, mm-hmm. having a wonderful time. Yeah. And then they get all kind of funny. New Year's yeah. does that to people, though, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And I was just watching it, just like, looking like, look how much fun that looks. I know. <laughs> a fancy party with dancing and dancing cheek to cheek. It's just, yeah. just a dream. In what looks like an office building. Like, I thought when the scene first started, and I did that thing where, I like, because I, I'm so scatterbrained sometimes, I was, like, not connected into the film. And I was like, are they at an office party? What, where are they? Is it an apartment? I don't know where they are. Uh, it's, a, it's definitely a New Year's party, but it's like the yeah. location just looks weird to me. Yeah. Now they dance cheek to cheek and then, yeah, they have a little moment and then they go out for some air. Yeah. And everybody's kissing and it's New Year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they just sort of look awkwardly at each other. Yeah. And then have a little peck on the lips. The friendly peck on the lips is a thing in this film. I just don't know if it is that a thing. Is that a thing that friends do? The friendly peck on the lips. Now, that's a good question. I have been known to do that with people. With with straight men people? She says non-judgmentally. Well, yes. Okay. But it's not common. Mm. It's I've done it in the past with people I've been super, super comfortable with. And granted, one of them I'm now in a long-term relationship with, so I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, but not in like a weird way, like like just in a sort of like fully like, hey, how are you doing? Also, oh, you're a theatre person. Yeah. I like. I wonder if that's don't it. Do that. I don't know. Accountants <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> it's you know, right. Here's my thinking on it. It's yes, it is. It's it's worth remarking on. It's definitely worth remarking on because it isn't that common. I mean, it's, and also it's New Year's, so I don't yeah. actually think like a New Year's peck and lips like that. That's not remarkable. I think that's that's a yeah. reasonable thing to do. I would say I have done it in the past, but it's not something that is. I would say it's very common, and it's 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 with people you like. I have felt super comfortable with, and yes, have been like lovey types who are very tactile and like you know kissing and touching and licking each other's faces is just par for the course. Except definitely not anymore because <laughs> now the thought of it yeah. is like wow. <laughs> We really shouldn't have been doing that. Somebody get the hand sanny out. I know, but I miss it. <laughs> yeah, because only I think the only men who are kissing in the lips platonically have been gay. Yeah. But I, no, actually, there was a silly point, actually, because it's New Year's Eve party, and the next time it happens, it's clearly not a platonic thing. So yeah. yeah, yeah. There's something about people singing Old Lang Syne that just really gets to me. It's just very emotional. Yeah. And it made me think of... Um, being in New York on New Year's and like, like if you're in, in Midtown, you can literally hear just everybody sing that. 
and it's just like it sets a tone and it makes yeah it makes people it makes me feel emotional it made me feel emotional old lang syne makes me feel emotional so i don't know if there's like a very deliberate choice to set this particular moment at new year's eve mm-hmm. so that they're all they're feeling things anyway and then yeah. what they're feeling about each other is more heightened i don't know yeah anyway that's all um, and then we have another old couple. Oh, yeah. And I can't remember the run up to it, but the last thing that the lady says is, I just knew, I, I knew the way you know a good melon. Yeah, I know the way you know about a good <laughs> melon. Yeah, that's a great line. I don't know a good melon. They're always unripe or too squishy. Is that a metaphor? <laughs> what are you trying to say, Jackie? Nothing. I don't yeah. get enough fruit. Fair enough. Need some more vitamin C. Well... Moving swiftly on to Marie and some more terrible things. She sent flowers uh, to herself. She's been she? Yeah, this is the next instalment in this horrible relationship that Marie's in. She sent $60 worth of flowers to herself. Oh, Arthur, yeah. that's his name. The man she's in a, a relationship with is Arthur. Oh, she leaves the card out for him mm-hmm. to see. And, uh, Bloody Arthur. And he never came over, so he didn't even see it. So she just bought herself $60 worth of flowers for no reason. Well. Anyway. Yeah. Girl, you've got to do better. It's not good for you. It's not good for Arthur's wife. We just need, Mm -mm. like, stop enabling this man. Like, stop putting yourself down. You can... Oh, anyway. Yeah. Just buy Uh, yourself flowers because you deserve them. Exactly. And, uh... They're on their way to their double date. So they have a conversation about drifting apart when you get into a relationship. And uh, two things happen here. Sally points out that Harry is one of his one of her best friends. And, and Marie says, you and I haven't started drifting apart since I started seeing Arthur. And Sally says, if Arthur ever left his wife and I actually met him, I'm sure that you and I would drift apart. <laughs> oh, God, it's so terrible. So anyway, yes, they go on the double date. So Jess and Harry and Mary, uh, Marie and Sally on the double yep. date. Um, and Jess is having a complete fit about the fact that um, Harry has said that Sally has a good personality because you can't both be attractive and have a good personality. Yeah, this this is some bullshit. Yeah. It's some bullshit, Nora Ephron. I'm not excusing it. I just don't like it. I can't actually figure out in the film if she wants us to like Jess or not because I don't really like him till the very end. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if it's just because phew, this is just the way some dudes behave and... Yeah. Yeah, they have this bullshit conversation about attractive but not beautiful, blah, 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 blah. And then I have a problem with the way this is set up a little bit because I'm a little bit like, wait, hang on. Everyone's been kind of rude here, including Sally. Like, mm-hmm. why? I get that maybe you're not clicking to the point where you're going to want to date, but you're. Yeah. everyone's been kind of cold and standoffish. And yeah. I don't know. I think it's just... Yeah, I don't know. so I was trying to figure out if there was a reason for that. Um, because when she's talking to Jess, so in the restaurant, she's talking to Jess and Harry's talking to Marie and neither conversation seems to really be grabbing anybody. But this, I rewound it a few times trying to hear what people were saying and the one you can hear the most, the Harry-Marie conversation is bizarre. Um, and I'll go into that in a second. But the Jess-Sally one, he's talking about Jimmy Breslin and how he loves him. He's saying something like he's... He, 
it's like a wake up call to New York and it ends as all the conversations are petering out she says something like well let's just say I'm not a big fan of Jimmy Breslin and he says well he's like the whole reason why I became a writer but that's not important so it's just very clear from that 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 is not going to work she obviously takes exception with somebody that he models himself on so that's that's dead in the water so I looked into it just being like I suspect I'll be on Sally's side if I look into him but essentially who Jimmy Breslin is or was um he died in 2017 he was a columnist for the New York Daily News Mm. and he had a few claims to fame he won the Pulitzer uh, for communications in 85 um, and a couple of the pieces that he wrote that got it were um about young gay men in the city who had AIDS Ah. he was like applauded for like humanizing that as an issue when that wasn't a popular thing to be doing and he was very well known for like speaking up for the voiceless he had another very famous interview with the guy who dug JFK's grave and so he has like the last person who served the president was this man who earns three dollars and one cent an hour and wow um, so he had a lot of really great writing and he also was sent a letter from the son of Sam the serial killer so he okay. was involved in all that as well. So he had like a very illustrious, successful journalism career. And actually on the show notes, I'll post the Pulitzer page because you can see all the like the portfolio with it. He's a great writer, really worth a read. Um, however, he got into trouble. It was actually the year after the film came out, but there must have been a run up to it. Like he must have been like a New York figure that people had opinions on. And that if you watched this, if you were in America or if you were in New York in 1989, you saw this movie, you would have understood this dynamic really well. Uh, okay. um, because it kind of sounds like he was known as much as he was like a voice for the working man and had certainly like a high sense of social justice. He was a bit racist and a bit misogynist ah. and a bit of a bully um, because wow. he got in trouble in 1990 for he like wrote a column and he mentioned something about how his home life had suffered since his wife became a member of the city council and a young Korean American journalist called Lee Jeong Lee Jeong Mary Yu apologies if that's not the right pronunciation um, she was 25 and she was a journalist. She was a colleague and she sent him an email saying, I think you should apologize. That was really sexist. And his reaction to that was to bluster about the office, calling her a few racial slurs. <sighs> and he was made to apologize. Um, but then he went on the Howard Stern show and basically said that all of his apologies are just carbon copies of each other. So he basically apologized, but then went on the radio and said it obviously didn't really mean that. And like a number of like journalistic and particularly like, Asian American journalists in America just were up in arms like, no, you have to suspend this person. That's not acceptable. And he did end up getting suspended for a couple of weeks. So I think he was like that, like he's done some good things and he's really old school. So he hasn't moved with the times because he's got such an ego. I mean, good on her, good on Ms. You for standing That's her ground. That can't have been easy. Amazing. That's earned you your jingle in spades, Miss Farmer. That is the fact. This is why our podcast will be popular. Because of you, bringing the gold, bringing the nuggets. That's really good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I just thought like that little moment between Jess and Sally, like that's obviously really significant. Because he says like two lines about it and she's like, no, what? No, I don't like him. I don't want to talk about that. And he is crestfallen and basically like, well, if you don't like him, you don't like me. It's amazing, (laughs) Jackie. It's so useful 
like for example if I had the script in front of me because I didn't really know what the cross I couldn't really hear the crosstalk either and it didn't occur to me to sort of look into it for the purposes of this podcast but actually what that does is it says heaps and heaps and heaps both about Sally and about Jess and what we're supposed to take away but it's not there it's not being broadcast because it's not important it's only really there if you're really listening like it feels like yeah. it's, a, it's almost an easter egg in some uh-huh. ways that's amazing that's exactly what I'm in this for <laughs> I love that I love this is the stuff I love researching meanwhile the conversation between Marie and Harry is bats I had to look up the script because you really can't hear it she's like talking about how she does like she designs windows so she designs like the window dressings yeah and Harry goes would I have seen any any of the any of your windows and she says well a Barney's thing a couple of weeks ago I did a thing with hostages and (laughs) Harry goes people in blindfolds Marie yeah I thought I thought it was like late 80s (laughs) and that's when he's like ah that's interesting (laughs) what's that reference to what was happening hostage wise there feels like there's something in that for me that I like yeah there must have that must be a reference as well I wish I had that fact for you well, maybe we can find the, find it and put it on social media as a little compliment to this episode because there's something in that now for me as much as I... Uh, there's like those conversations were a thing. Yeah, and but also just the way that then Jess and Marie connect. Like, uh-huh. if she's a bit reductive in her approach, so, you know, like, hostages, and he's, like, very myopic about his views about Breslin, it's like, they are perhaps made for each other. Maybe. PBS have a helpful page about hostage situations in the US from 1979 to 1989. So I'm just having a quick look. And does she talk about windows as in Barney? Like she mentions Barney's because this is a thing in New York, people who do windows in department stores. Because I lived with a girl in Williamsburg when I was apartment hopping, looking for somewhere to live. And uh, her job, she did an incredible job, a very talented person, but her job was to look after the windows at Bergdorf Goodman's, which is a huge deal. Like the, the windows at Bergdorf's are like art. And they change seasonally as the the fashion seasons change. Right. So she was a designer and an artist, and she would dress these windows in Shirovsky crystals, and like they would be art pieces in and of themselves, and then feature whatever brands or designers were part of the season that year. And uh, the other thing that she did was she was the person that decorated Bette Midler's Halloween party every year. So it's the whole thing. I bet that was a good job. I bet it was. Um, but she was exceptionally talented, but it was a thing. Like, that was her whole job. Like, as an artist and a designer, she had other things that she did, but, like, the big ticket item was the the windows at Bergdorf's. Was there a lot of pressure to do something that nobody had done before that might oh, for inspire sure. you to take your ideas from the news? Yeah, for sure. Like, well, well, no, yeah, because, like, the Bergdorf windows, at each season, there would be a big reveal, because they block them off and then as you know the design would be built then they'd be revealed and it would have like it would be thematically relevant it would be inspired by whatever whatever the runway thing was happening for the season's brands and designers but also yeah it would take maybe it would be inspired by something like a design brief like myths and fairies but also like taking inspiration from the popular culture from the social moment would also absolutely be a thing so Marie's job is real (laughs) it's a thing I, I suspect it's a job that doesn't exist outside of new york but it's yeah. a job that's a, that is a fucking massive rabbit hole but a brilliant one it's a brilliant rabbit hole for what is like a 10 second snip yeah it really <laughs> is it really is 
Oh yeah, this this whole scene's great. It's got the so what are we gonna order? Well, I'm gonna go with the grilled radicchio. Sorry, I just like <laughs> shout out for grilled radicchio. What a moment! What an, what an, what an early nineties, late eighties <laughs> restaurant moment. <laughs> and then Harry has the whole Sally is a great orderer thing. Yeah, he's like trying to big her up, even yeah. though like we know for a fact because there've been so many scenes of her ordering, like completely silent montage scenes of her ordering in restaurants, and him just like looking at her completely, just yeah. like what are you, and <laughs> yeah. or like sharing a wearied glance with the waiter. Yeah, the Chinese restaurant. Like, she's that. so good at ordering. <laughs> the beautiful montage of them out and about, and uh, yeah, they're in the Chinese restaurant, and she's like gesticulating, like the camera's outside the window of the Chinese yeah. restaurant looking in and she's gesticulating and he's like yeah for like ages <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's great it's so good I, you know I'm also a little confused and I think what this scene does is actually plants a seed with the rest of us that Harry and Sally there's this awkward thing between them like they really want this to work out but it's not really that they want it to work out because of their friends I don't think I don't know there's something there's just something there's something else in the mix here is it like that idea of because it's maybe because there's been a little bit of tension with them at New Year? That, yeah. That like and so there's clearly some sexual tension between them and that's starting to get in the way. So is it like going back to Harry's addendum? Yeah. If you're both in a relationship, it takes sex off the table and it's not confusing anymore. That's exactly it. That's exactly it, Jackie. It it's they they freaked themselves out at New mm-hmm. Year's and they are putting pressure on getting getting their friends in relationships with either party so that they can go back to being friends and not worry about it. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. So it's kind of a selfish act. Great bit of writing, loads of subtext. Yeah. And then we get fucking... <laughs> we get fucking Marie and Jess sharing these fucking ridiculous, like platitudes that Jess has written, like, pesto is the quiche of the 80s, as if that's fucking... <laughs> Restaurant start of the 80s, what theatre was, was in the, in the, the 60s. In the 60s. And it, yeah, it's great. So good. And so, like, actually, you know, and now knowing everything that you've brought forward about the Breslin thing and what the, the huge personality insight that gives us into Jess, it just, it makes total sense that he's like, I'm so glad that spoke to you. And like, I'm so yeah. attracted to you now because you're talking about my writing. Uh-huh. <laughs> my shit writing. <laughs> Pesto is the quiche of the 80s. Oh, What does that even mean? What was quiche? I don't, I don't know what it means, but Marie has the Marie has the right response. She just doesn't, doesn't say it in the right context because she says, get over yourself. I know. I love that. It's like, a, it's like get out of town. It's like, get over yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Which is exactly, I think, what I would say. I just wouldn't say it the way she said it. Yeah, but, okay, over yourself. Ah. And then there's this, like, Sally writes for New York Magazine and he just doesn't, like, it's like... Ignore it. Yeah. (laughs) Great stuff. You know what? Nobody has ever quoted me back to me as Jess signalling the patriarchy in a big way. (laughs) Yeah. This is what we want. So, yeah, then we get the, yeah, it didn't really work and they get in the cab together because there's this weird conversation of like oh don't don't like I know you're both trying to save the other one from feeling rejected yeah yeah even though neither of them is interested yeah and then they just jump they just ignore all that and just jump straight in the cab which you know what I'm fine with like fair enough to them they found each other let them live their lives yeah Um, no one was hurt by it either exactly it all worked out really let's let's Mm -hmm. be fair sharper image hello sharper image what's sharper image so sharper image is this like, like iconic. A good no, it's more than that. It's it's like a kind of gadget shop type vibe. 
but better. Well, it actually, yeah, it's like if, it's like if Jessup's and the gadget shop had a baby. Right. <laughs> oh, I remember browsing at the gadget shop before yeah. I was allowed to drink. Yeah, because it's like sharper image has got all like like people with disposable income could buy shit for their weird eighties apartment that like they don't need. Yeah. Um, but you could also pick up a camera or uh, a lava lamp. Useful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. So you you have feelings about this scene? Yeah, all I've just got is just like find you a man who'll sing show tunes to you in public. I just think that's nice. It was just sweet. It's super sweet, and I think this scene. This comes. This scene comes back to some other things we've discussed about their relationship dynamic, because there's something so sweet about the lack of self consciousness that both of them have. Like we know that Harry doesn't have that. Like we know that he doesn't really seem to care or get embarrassed. But I get the impression that Sally wouldn't normally just randomly sing karaoke in a shop. Um, but she does it with him, and uh, and she's terrible. But she doesn't care because she's having fun yeah. with Harry. She doesn't care until his face changes, and then she gets really self conscious, mm-hmm. which I thought was a nice touch because she's completely unself conscious when they're both having a nice time, and then mm-hmm. when it looks like he's not, that's when she gets upset. But it's not her voice, of course. Yeah. And then there's this fucking weird scene where they run into Helen and Ira, and <laughs> Helen and Ira are just like clearly the worst people who ever walked there. Yeah, they behave. They behave so poorly. They're like, "Hi, yeah." Looking them up and like, "Fuck off!" Like, what are you doing in Sharper Image? What are you shopping for? Like, yeah, get the fuck out of here. Like, get over yourself, but used in the traditional context. (laughs) Just, just fucking get over yourself. (laughs) And then yeah, Harry has 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 a minor breakdown. He's not happy. So they end. So they're looking for a flat warming. Is it for it's for Jess and Cat? Jess and Carrie. Jess and Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Jess and Princess Leia. (laughs) Yeah, they have moved in together. So they are looking for something, and they end up just getting a plant, which is Mm -hmm. correct. It's true today as it ever was. Yeah, Harry is extremely triggered by the coffee table conversation. Which I would be too, because that coffee table is hideous. So uh-huh. <laughs> it's disgusting. Everyone hates it. And I also just like Sally and Jess just do not like each other. It's just clear at this point. They're just they do not really like each other that Which much. Which is fair. Because yeah. it's becoming apparent that Jess the fact that Jess is is fighting for this coffee table again just further tells us all we need to know about Jess. Harry's triggered and he loses it and uh, calls it a stupid wagon wheel, Roy Rogers, garage sale, coffee table. <laughs> and then Jess is like, why didn't you say that earlier? He's like, I was being nice. <laughs> so and then Sally's like, he just bumped into Helen. Uh, <laughs> it's all great. And oh, Marie closing it with with such panache i want you to know that i will never ever want that wagon wheel coffee table (laughs) (laughs) so um jess is being suitably put in his place and then harry and sally have this really quite savage fight outside Mm -hmm. it's quite yeah it's quite mean she comes in to tell him that you can't just basically you you, you can't just say every thought and feeling that comes into your head sometimes there's time and a place Mm -hmm. Um, and it's kind of the crux of their differences that he is completely uninhibited, says what he thinks exactly when he thinks it, and he kind of goes back at her about how she's like repressed and doesn't ever express her emotions. Calls her Miss Hospital Corners. That's a burn. It's really savage. <laughs> he also says, "I'm. I think I'm entitled to throw a little anger, you right? Yeah, they have. They're they're expressing things to each other. That's I think more about. There's more going on. 
But then it, it kind of ends brilliantly. And Sally, Sally lets rip like yeah. with that stuff about when I make love to somebody, it's going to be making love, not the way you do it, like you're out for revenge or something. Yeah. It's really like, whoo. And then he he goes, are you finished now? Can I say something? And then he yeah. apologises and they have this really lovely hug. It's so nice. Such a nice hug. Yeah. Probably not um, helpful in the fact that just hugging just always looks so good. But <laughs> yeah. In this in this it's a really D, good one. Yeah, it's a good hug. It's it well, it's a hug of two people who really care about each other. Like Yeah, and they're really sorry and they kind of both said the things that they needed to say and they probably both knew that the other one thought that to an extent. And it's there's really effective use of swearing in the fight because she's like, just because I haven't fucked anybody the way you do or something. It's like she really uses that word to differentiate the way that Harry is sleeping with people and the way that she wants to sleep with people. Yeah. And also, and like, the word fuck isn't used very often. The only, I think it's only used one other time that I noticed. And again, by Sally. Yeah. And it's later on. Apart from don't fuck with Mr. Zero, of course. Apart from with don't fuck with Mr. Zero. <laughs> So three times. Both are three very important uses of the word. What rating was this? Um, it's a good question. Because sometimes if you cross, I always thought like if you kind of cross the using fuck threshold, you may as well just throw it about. But it's very effective when you just use it sometimes. Isn't it? That's a very good point. Yeah, it is. Like if you don't hear it very often, when it when it is used, it really lands. Oh, and then Jess is taking out the wagon wheel. Hilarious. Yeah. Don't, like, don't say, say a, a word. word. <laughs> And then this scene in this fucking townhouse, by the way, like I'm guessing it's probably from the looks of it. Because when we were first in the in the scene, I was like, is that a townhouse? And then they come outside. And I'm like, yeah, it's a fucking townhouse. And I'm like, OK, so Jess and Marie can afford a what looks to be a two floor at least. Or maybe I'm going to say two floor townhouse in what okay. looks to be the Upper East Side. So both of them are making bank out of. Pesto is the quiche of their the silly jobs. 80s and dressing windows. <laughs> Hostage themed window dressings. <laughs> yeah. And then we get this uh, Pictionary scene with Baby Fishmouth. Um, <laughs> yeah, baby, what even is Baby Talk as opposed to Baby Fishmouth? <laughs> Which is sweeping the nation. Uh, and that all this scene is here to do is to just set up that Harry and Sally are with other people at the mm -hmm. moment and neither of them are okay with it. They're both talking yeah. about it with yeah, with their both friends. Talking smack about their respective yeah. dates. And, yeah. And uh Marie is all over that. Like Marie's scooping the coffee and going, Julian's lovely. Well yeah. Sally's chatting away about Harry because because she knows. Marie knows. Yeah. It's like how even old is she anyway? Yeah. <laughs> And an uh, honourable mention to this beautiful baby pink scalloped uh, oh, summer dress really nice. that Sally yeah. is wearing. It's beautiful. What else have I got? Zabar's coffee. I miss New York. So after this scene, do you have anything to say about the, the dinner party pictionary scene of, of any? No, it's just like, God, Jess and Sally don't like each other. <laughs> that does change, I think. It does change. It. Yeah, when you said that earlier, I did think that when we get there, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it. And I actually yeah. quite like that as a little subtle arc. It's nice, yeah. Um, so Baby Fishmouth, move, we move on from Baby Fishmouth. Yeah. And the various shades that both Harry and Sally are throwing at each other's partners, current partners. Yeah. And then, ah, I hate this scene. I really hate this scene. It makes me really uncomfortable. The next scene is... When Sally calls Harry over yeah. because she's found out that Joe's getting married. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, but it is a necessary scene. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess it's important that this isn't dealt with perfectly because otherwise there would be no conflict in the rest of the film. Again, it feels real. It feels like the kind of mistake 
that you would make in real life because yeah. nothing about as much as you were rooting for them to get together and that you believe that they have this really important connection and friendship this just doesn't feel right someone is vulnerable yeah it's not the right moment it's not about either of them it's about sally's sadness joe is a factor even if he's a phantom it doesn't feel right as much as it's very funny i like it's very funny she's just like wandering around and harry has the kleenex and he's following her with the kleenex and she's just throwing them over her shoulder yeah Yeah. and uh, meg ryan does some spectacular cry acting i love the way she says kimberly she works at his (laughs) office she's a paralegal her name is kimberly (laughs) i love it as if like allegedly that's her name yeah meg ryan has some great stuff like she's uh yeah difficult that is a nice bit because he's just like stroking her hair and like no you're not you're challenging and (laughs) and you can just the the, his facial expression is very soft and lovely and you can just see how fond he is of her and yeah you do believe that he didn't go over there with any ulterior motive yeah and i think there's something really interesting about this because she phones him she doesn't phone marie which i don't know if that well, Julian, it's Julian. I don't know if they've just kind of like skipped past. Oh, yeah. I don't know if they. I suppose you wouldn't really call your new boyfriend about that, would you? Yeah. No, probably not. You would. You think she'd have called Marie? Um, but I don't know if that's a nod to the fact that you know Marie's now in a relationship with Jess, and they had that whole like you drift apart thing. I don't know if that. Apart, yeah. If it is a nod, it's not deliberate and it's not there in the script. But yeah. she does call Harry. Harry responds immediately. Like he's like, yeah, "I'll be right there." So they they do have this relationship. That ni- and, and neither moment, either her calling him or him responding the way he does, feels loaded with ulterior motive at all. Both d- choices by these characters feel motivated by, I need my friend, and my friend needs me. Yeah, and they have this closeness that they aren't really quite understanding of. Yeah, yeah. And then, well, yeah, yeah. then yeah. Meg, Meg Ryan has the whole, I will be 40 soon, and I'm like, no, you won't. <laughs> yeah. In, yeah, it's like, I'm going to be 40 when? Like, Someday! Sure. <laughs> not someday soon uh eight years buddy eight years yeah uh, oh god and then yeah she says it's, sit- it's sitting there like this big dead end um which uh, we need a whole other podcast to unpack but she does say it's not the same for men charlie chaplin had babies when he was 73 and harry says yeah but he was told to pick them up and that makes her laugh. Yeah, even just for like a second, and then she just goes straight and straight back into a sob. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. It's great acting from Meg. And yeah, and then they and then friendly peck on the lips. And Harry was going to get up and make some tea. He's going to get up and make some tea, and ask him to hold her for a bit longer. Um, and then they end up sleeping together, and then it all goes to shit. It's all super awkward. He's acting weird. The, yeah, yeah the, the the easiness of her, of their relationship is just gone. Like they are too, they they're yeah, talking they to each other being, like strangers. Yeah, they're being really agreeable with each other. They're very like, oh, I don't mind, and only if you're getting one, and well, I'm getting one for myself. And it's very, yeah. and that's not what they're like. They bicker constantly. Yeah, and then we get this great scene where each of them call Jess, respectively, call they're, their besties Jess and Marie, but Jess and Marie and are in bed together and have yeah. separate phones, like a four way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which they did apparently, apparently that scene took like 60 something takes because they had to do it because of the timings. They had to actually do it every single time, the four of them. Oh, wow. That's really cool. I didn't know that. 
That's a bunch really of takes and they nearly had it on like take 59 or something and then the actor who plays Jess like messed up like his last line so they got all the way through it and it was perfect and they messed up the last line and it was sort of over again of course he did so <laughs> bloody Jess well actually that's, that's not fair I'm sure the man who plays Jess is probably lovely I'm sure he's a very nice man <laughs> I'm sure he's a nice man <laughs> he was just trying his best on his 59th take it's not yes. his fault I'm sure he wasn't uh, the person who ruined it every time yeah um, yeah and it ends with Marie turning to Jess saying tell me I'll never have to be out there again oh, <sighs> super relatable stuff yeah. yeah oh and then there's the awkward dinner scene where they eat these really awful looking undressed salads and again it's like Sally's got the exact same thing as Harry so she's obviously not made a big show of yeah she's obviously yeah, not yeah. like spent ages ordering it because otherwise it probably wouldn't be like because Harry will just have whatever's on the menu. Yeah, it's very pointed that the waiter arrives saying two mixed green salads. So a list of things that yeah. Sally has obviously ordered. And then, yeah, that horrible that horrible thing of like him saying, isn't it nice that you can just be with someone without talking and not meaning mm-hmm. it? Um, yeah, and when that's never what they've done. Yeah. Neither of them can shut up. Yeah, it's so, it's so awkward. It's, it's just, it's a really great bit of writing because it's so relatable because it's just two people not using their words. People not t- not two people not saying what they actually think or feel, and then um, where do we go from there? Oh, uh, do we wedding. go to the wedding? Yeah, so it's only a few weeks. It's like three weeks later. Uh, oh wait, Jesse do we get the power? Do we not- Sorry, do we get the boys power walking before then? Harry and Jess have a scene where they go power walking. Oh, so that must right. So that must be there. Oh, there's scenes before their dinner where Harry's talking to Jess about it, and Sally's talking to Marie. That's and they're right. both talking about she's saying you know he was really weird afterwards and I'm so embarrassed so she's embarrassed and he feels guilty and he probably feels a bit guilty partly because of the circumstances that happened I guess that mm-hmm. and he says he feels he's felt he felt smothered yes so I don't think she she didn't do anything to smother him she did seem ha- she seemed happy about it which was heartbreaking and he seemed to be freaking out about it yeah Harry and Jess are power walking in the park and Harry says, it's just like most of the time you go to bed with someone, she tells you her stories, you tell her your stories. But with Sally and me, we've already heard each other's stories. So once we went to bed, we didn't know what we were supposed to do, you know, which is weird. And he thinks, he, he posits that in a relationship, there's a certain point where it's too late to have sex, which yeah. is, yeah. And then we get to the wedding stuff. And uh, Sally is sitting there eating M&Ms, asking if Harry's bringing anyone to the wedding while Marie is yeah. talking about, yes, he has thin, pretty big tits, your basic nightmare. That's, <laughs> that's how she describes Which I would, th- when she said that, it was like, that would be an amazing Tinder profile for someone. <laughs> and you're like, bio. <laughs> thin, pretty big tits, your basic A nightmare. A bit about yourself. <laughs> yeah. I know, it's great. Actually, it's so good. Your basic nightmare. And I, I, uh, I hate Marie's wedding dress. I'm sorry, I do. It's not the best. I know. Not the best. They don't. They don't uh, dress character full potential in this film. It's also very of the moment. It's just. It's very of the yeah. moment. And then uh, we have Harry and Sally being the best man and uh, bridesmaid respectively at the wedding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sally looks great in what is very again of the moment emerald green. I love that dress. Uh, it's so I think it's such a pretty dress. I had a dress a bit like that. Um, I was a bridesmaid for my cousin's wedding in 1997, 98. Okay. And, um, so what, been 11, 12? 
Yeah, that sounds about right. And it was almost exactly the same from the waist up. So it had the same colour, sort of a velvety forest emerald green with a sweetheart neck. And then, but instead of a an 80s sort of peplum or puffy skirt or whatever, she had tartan. She had the floor length tartan. So we looked, we actually looked oh, wow. like it was, yeah, we looked like something out of a movie. They were beautiful dresses. Yeah. But that kind of, that design, that colour scheme and that design is very... 80s 90s I think but you could put I mean you could put an old sack on Meg Ryan and I know yeah. she's so pretty so beautiful particularly in this movie she's just she's just gorgeous so we have this very classic New York wedding and then Harry tries to talk to Sally and she's giving it a bit of that cold shoulder action yeah which I have to say I have done it regret it it's just not cold shoulder the cold shoulder thing it's just not the wisdom of my many 36 years which according to Sally Albright (laughs) is ticking on the old clock tick tick tick, Louise tick fucking talk (laughs) friend (laughs) is that the cold shoulder thing doesn't work don't do it it's immature say what you mean do do what Harry's doing try and have a conversation say use your words Mm -hmm. Use your words. Except when he does it, it goes a bit wrong. But still, you know. Yes. It does go a bit wrong. I don't quite know. I can't even remember what he really says for himself. Well, she's saying, I don't want to talk about it. He's saying, why can't we get past this? He says, are we going to carry this thing around forever? And she says, it's only been three weeks. Mm -hmm. It just happened. And then he says. Yeah, no, that's right. And then he says that thing about dogs. (laughs) She says it just happened. And he says it's been three weeks. And then he says about like you know how a year to a human is seven years to a dog or something and then she's like is someone a dog here (laughs) yeah someone a dog in this scenario it's it works because actually both of them they're talking at cross purposes both of them have a point they're just not getting Mm -hmm. to it he's right they need to be able to work past it because they have a friendship she's right that it does mean something and it and it happened relatively Mm -hmm. recently so like they're both right they're just not like communicating yeah and then the the dog thing throws a spanner in the works they're, uh, they're not really saying what they, they're still not really saying what they feel yeah and they're on the back foot because of the stupid dog comment the stupid dog comment and look like I don't I I have been there as the receiver of a stupid comment that's just like made me go I'm sorry what and I've also been the yeah. deliverer of a comment that's made the other person go what the fuck are you talking about so like I get it where you yeah. say something you think encapsulates the moment but you're like that sounded better in my head than it did yeah. coming out and then they do the march off into the kitchen. This is the moment. he. I feel like he earns his fucking slap. Mm-hmm. And the fuck you that goes with it. The fuck you that goes with it, yeah. The number yeah. four fuck that appears in the movie, maybe. He What he says is fucking bad. It's terrible. I feel what he says. You looked up at me, you looked up at me with these big weepy eyes. Don't go home, Harry. Hold me a little longer, Harry. What was I supposed to do? Yeah. I'd have mm-hmm. fucking slapped you. Like, yeah, fuck you, Harry. Yeah, fuck you, Harry. Yeah, it's from so... All us. Like, from from all of us here at Alha, <laughs> when she's podcasting, fuck, fuck you. you. <laughs> yeah, it's, he says exactly the wrong thing. And I think he knows it. He earned, yeah. that, he earned that slap. And then we get this great moment where they come back out from the kitchen and, and Jess, fucking Jess. Yeah, my next comment is... I've got like, yes, fuck you, another effective swear, yes, Sally. And then fuck you too, Jess, and your speech. Read the room, dickhead. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, They basically come out of the kitchen to Jess making his groom speech saying, and if, you know, special thanks to Harry and Sally 
if either of us had been remotely attracted to either of you, then we wouldn't be here today. And it's like, you know fine well that there's drama here. Yeah, it's just like, we just edit that out of the fucking speech, guys. Marie standing next to him, just like looking adoringly. It's like, Marie. I know. And then we get a, basically a montage of them not being friends and Harry calling her and trying to, yeah. to make amends and get her to speak to him. Which uh, reminds me of the golden age for screenwriters, or any writer, in fact, when uh, the answering machine was a legitimate way to deliver exposition. How writers mm-hmm. must miss that. What a handy device that yeah. is. Um, what could you do now? Now people do lots of stuff with text messages. And, it's uh, like text appearing on the screen. That's yeah. what you're doing Pretty Little Liars. And those are called <laughs> Chirons. There you go. Oh. So if you're writing a screenplay and you need to put something that appears on the screen in text whether that's a text message or it's also like Washington 1977 FBI headquarters those things are called chirons Um, I learned the name for like you know when uh, Harry's saying like in this in this super cut of all the apologies and then there's a bit where he's having a hot dog with Jess and he's like I'm not doing it anymore I'm sick of making a schmuck at myself (laughs) and then it immediately cuts to him singing to her over the answering machine yeah Um, (laughs) That's called a Gilligan cut. A Gilligan cut? A Gilligan cut, which is like a cut for comedic effect when somebody says they're not going to do something and then you immediately cut to them doing that thing. That's great. I love that. Learn something brilliant with Jackie's Oh, screenwriters, you're going to love this episode. We're full of stuff. Uh, so many knowledges. No, the knowledges. That's good. because that <laughs> And it works so well. It's really, really good. Billy Crystal at his absolute best. Phone yeah. moi. He says a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I really love the fact that you're not answering leads me to believe that you're A, not at home. B, home, but don't want to talk to me. Or C, home, desperately want to talk to me, but trapped under something heavy. If it's either A or C, <laughs> call me back. <laughs> That's the sort of chat, like, I am very susceptible to funny men. That is the sort of chat. Yeah, that would would have me for sure. She does very well to resist that. And then when she does finally pick up the phone, again, they do this thing. They do this little dance of, like, she wants him to say more. He doesn't know he needs to say more. And it just Mm -hmm. makes things worse. (laughs) I just can see her in her face. It's like, why the fuck did you call then? Yeah, like, I what, just thought, what do you want? Oh, just to say sorry, okay? And yeah, <laughs> she's like waiting, <laughs> and he thinks he said it. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> he thinks it's done. He's like, so what's you up to? What you doing? We going? Are we, you want to get some dinner? Um, yeah, it's just yeah, it's so typical. And then we yeah we have the chat about basically establishing uh, that she's going to go to the party, the Tyler's party. And, uh, and he does that thing. So that big place that we thought was somebody's office building is actually Tyler's house. Their rich friend Tyler. Let's get into with, Tyler. With, with roof access and a huge, huge, like, open plan loft from the looks of things. Mm. Harry does this thing where he brings up something that from their past. And again, I see what he's doing here. He's using a sort of, like, a, a little thing, a little bit that they have. Like, if you don't mm-hmm. have a date and I don't have a date on New Year's, then we'll go together. Um, and he thinks that's... Yeah gonna work but Sally's past that now she's like no no this isn't about neither of us being dateless wonders this is about whether or not you actually value me as a human and perhaps someone yeah that you could be in a relationship with because we've gone past all of this now yeah he's trying to go back to normal and she's like no we've opened Pandora's box mm-hmm. it's out we can't put it back in the box yeah and then it's a kind of it's Christmas yeah. party she's dancing with these guys like reminds me of the 
in the oh. Adams family when they're having the party for Uncle Fester and Wednesday's dancing with Lumpy Adams. Yeah. And she's having like a full-on conversation with somebody just being like twirled around by like yeah. by like both of her hands like yeah. stand out from her body. Yeah. <laughs> that's what that reminds me of. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I think that's in my notes. This guy's like literally throwing Sally around the, the room. <laughs> she's getting flung towards Carrie Fisher and delivers a line and then gets flung back and it's great. Uh, and then Harry's being very misanthropic, wandering the streets of New York, thinking his thoughts. And that's all fine, except for the fact that it's late December in New York and he's wandering around without a scarf. And I'm just not going to accept that. Talking sub zero temperatures here. Yeah. That's not, no, you're going to be, and he's got like this little stupid bomber jacket that you would wear in the spring. No. But shout out to Meg Ryan, who looks, again, another vision in an 80s frock, but this time a sort of ocean blue number that's very off the shoulder. It's got that kind of like, it's off the shoulder, but then the sleeves start. She's got like three quarter length sleeves that start from about, you know, here ish. This is a podcast, so nobody knows what Hirish is right now, but maybe we'll post a picture <laughs> on our social media of Meg Ryan in this dress. Yes, she Up looks... her arm. Yeah, uh, she looks great. So then we get the big, the big fucking moment. He, Harry yeah. slowly comes to his senses during his internal monologue and then starts to run. Yeah, that's a great scene. He, he starts, starts to run, thinking about her. Starts to run, runs to the party. She's about to leave. Like It's a nice moment from Jess because she's been trying to leave a couple of times. Marie's been very tough love. Like, no, this is for your own good. You're staying. Mm-hmm. Like when she's being chatted up by that boring guy, she's like, I'm, I'm leaving. And Marie's just like, they'll never get a taxi. Like, That's a great cut. Post. That's all, that almost feels like your Gilligan cut, actually, or a, ver- a version yeah. of... Like if it changed yeah. scene, it might have been a Gilligan cut, but it all it has the same energy where she's like, ah, ha, 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 I'm leaving, you'll never get a taxi. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. And she goes back yeah. in. It's like, yeah, it's really, really good. Yeah. And then she's saying to Marie and Jess that she's gonna leave and you know, she can't be bothered being there at the bells and everybody's kissing. Mm-hmm. And then Jess says, I'll kiss you. And it is like I've definitely been there where it's like hanging out with a couple friends, you and Chris for one, or like other other pals were like, I'm really close with the pair of that, like know the pair of them really well. And you know that you're like in that like little gang with mm-hmm. the couple mm-hmm. when you're usually like your friend's boyfriend or your friend's husband starts talking to you about boys or starts yeah saying sweet stuff to make you feel better when you're sad. Yeah. And that did make me like Jess, because I've like definitely been there where like I'm sad over someone and then my friend is actually she's like doing yeah. something she's like putting the chicken in the oven or something and I'm sat with the boyfriend he's like you know you really don't deserve this <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just always kind of a nice moment it's always Jess, like a bit of a hurdle that you get over yeah Jess has made that transition and it's really yeah. sweet and it is everything it's you've nice. just said and I think it's one of those moments where because I think up until like like halfway through the movie I think or at the very least until Jess and Marie get together Harry and Sally to Jess and Marie are these two like entities that their their friend that they have a relationship with is has a relationship with but never the two have met if that Mm -hmm. makes sense so yeah it's that it's that moment that Jess has obviously transitioned into a place where Sally is extremely important to his wife and also extremely important to his best friend so now he's arrived in this place where like oh I get Sally now Sally is important to me too so it's like I'll kiss you stay like it's just like it's yeah it's very cute and it does a lot like it, I mean I don't know if this is just, just us like doing our deep dive but for me for all the reasons that you've just described him saying that does say a lot tells us a lot about Jess and it journey is. and everything I think just in one it, line yeah it's it's just such a relatable thing that is good writing isn't it to have a line in that 
like that. I'll kiss you. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it, it's not like it's super heartfelt. It's just like, that's, that's all like, it takes. I'll kiss you. Like, yeah, like stay. It's like, it just feels like he's saying fucking stay. Um, but she's not buying it and she's going to go. And then the schmuck arrives. This guy. <laughs> this guy. And we get... It gives a special speech. It's a very special speech. Just before all of this, Sally says something really important. She says... I can't do this anymore. Mm. I am not your consolation prize. I think that's what sets Harry off on his little misanthropic wander around the entire island of Manhattan before he decides to run to the party, miraculously not freezing to death. She says, I'm not your consolation prize. And I think that's really important because I don't think she's ever been his consolation prize. No. I think for Harry, Sally is the only person that he's ever wanted to be around. There's nothing consolation-y about Sally to Harry. No. But it's just all so unspoken and difficult for very stupid reasons that the movie sets up like preordained or misunderstood reasons for the, or, or gender dynamic reasons that and women and men should not, be friends like yeah. it's all like it's all nonsense well and just like little misunderstandings especially the night that they sleep together there's something that night that seems to click for her where she's like oh well actually yeah that makes sense that we've slept together and she's quite happy like she's happy when she wakes up next to Harry yeah and he's freaked out and she's like oh the feelings are out so this is mm-hmm. this is it now but then she realizes that he isn't having that reaction so then she feels rejected so that's yes that's basically like so she is taken from that quite rationally these feelings were one-sided yeah and you know everything that sally feels is completely rational like this is Mm -hmm. the thing like all the little bits like the phone call like her waiting for more or you know the fact that they they weren't talking on the same frequency when he gets fucking slapped to the face like for her she sees it she sees what it is and understandably feels well you're either leading me on or you or you like the fact that I'm maybe more into you than you are to me and therefore you're just stringing this along and that makes you an arsehole frankly like so Sally's Sally's stuff is completely justified so you know she's arrived at this idea of her being perceived as a consolation prize completely logically and justifiably and nobody wants to feel like a fucking consolation prize you don't want to be the person that somebody contacts or gets in touch with because they feel they need some form of validation yeah yeah so it's all valid and that's why the monologue works so well it's great it's great that um, because he has to do something gushy yeah at that point and then they immediately fall back into easy banter once that's out then they're normal again yeah which is what's kind of nice about it they don't have a silly chat between sleeping together and that bit there's also something really interesting about it feels very momentous when he says i love you because Mm. everything about the way they've interacted up until this point it's so it's so obvious they love each other but it's not said it's not they don't it's not something they say to each other so for him to say i love you feels so important and weighted uh which is also why it's so great when she says i hate you but actually means i love you Yeah, it's great, and it makes me cry every time. Oh, it's good. Yeah, I, la- I cried as well. It's great. Um, it's a great movie. And uh, yeah, and then he has this little like, "What is this about? What is Old Lang Syne about? Is it like we have to forget our acquaintances, or do we have to like forget that we remembered them?" And she's like, "Whatever." And then she says, "Anyway, it's about old friends." Yeah, and that's lovely. It's lovely. Friendship and then, is the best foundation. And that's it. I'm never not in a good mood after watching this movie. <laughs> no, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Uh, right. So shall we wrap up? Yeah. I enjoyed this movie. Made me think lots of things. I enjoyed talking yeah. about it with you, Jackie Farmer, as always. I enjoyed talking about it with you. I love talking about films with you. So, so nice. good. 
such a learning experience. Uh, it is. We're starting to get better at things. We're getting skilled. We're networking. We're not getting any better at making them shorter, but that's not really what we came here for. So that's fine. It's shorter than Return of the Jedi. Only by about 20 minutes at this point. <laughs> well, thank you for your time. Thank you, ma'am. I'll have what she's podcasting on this side. That was I'll Have What She's Podcasting. Thanks to Chris Gorman for the edit and the sound design. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at She's Podcasting. If you liked this, you might also enjoy our sister podcast, Persistent and Nasty, which is all about amplifying marginalised voices in film and theatre. Thanks for listening and see you next time.